Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of On Mike with Jordan Rich. Now, I've known quite a few best-selling novelists, and one of the most enduring and interesting is today's guest, Joseph Finder. Critics have been raving about his work for years, and Joe's been called, among other things, quote, a master of what might be called the man-in-over-his-head thriller. That's from Kirkus Reviews. He's got 14 previous suspense novels, including The Switch, The Fixer, and Suspicion. He introduced his private spy, Nick Heller, in several novels. And Joe's novels, High Crimes and Paranoia, have been adapted as major motion pictures. He's also a founding member of the International Thriller Writers and a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Association of Former Intelligence Officers. Quite a background. His latest book is terrific, and it's called Judgment. Joe, welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich. We've done a lot of radio over the years. It's always a pleasure. And you might be one of the most uh, steady authors I know of. One a year. Is that still the pattern? That's, that's right. It's been one a year. <laughs> yeah. So right now you're probably hard at work with the next one before we even talk about this one. It's true. I'm actually pretty deeply into the new book right now. It's funny because my head is in that book and we're talking about judgment which is my new book, but to me it's my old book. But anyway. Well, let's focus on judgment. I loved it <laughs> yeah. as, as I love your work anyhow, Thank but you. this one's a, a, a new spin because we have someone in judicial robes who's at the heart yep. of the matter. As I said in the introduction, people who know your work, uh, oftentimes it's ordinary people, oftentimes, yep. in extraordinary circumstances. So just give us a, a brief exactly. synopsis here before we start talking specifics. Sure, yeah. The, the hero of this book is, is named Juliana Brody. She is a superior court judge in Massachusetts, and uh, she lives in the Boston area. She's got a couple married and got a couple of kids. And um, as the book opens, we see her in a bar in Chicago where she's at a legal conference, and she meets a guy, and they bond immediately. And he, she finds him very appealing and very vulnerable, and. She feels bad. He's just lost his wife, and they have a long conversation. Anyway, she ends up sleeping with the guy, and they agree when they part in Chicago that this can never happen again. You know, they've just got to be ships passing in the night. And uh, uh, sure enough, a couple days later, into her courtroom walks that guy, and her life basically is then turned upside down. And then the plot thickens very quickly. Right, exactly. What what really comes to mind is all the detail that is poured in here about the court system, the judge and her work day, the sort yep. of the ordinary daytime experience of a superior court judge. And talk a little bit about the research for this one. Was it different or more extensive than other books? It was, actually. Um, I spent time talking with five women judges in Massachusetts, one um, a uh, federal judge, and the others were superior court judges. And uh, I, it's funny, when I interview people, I usually focus on what you do during the day. I was focusing more on what they do at night, what their personal lives are like. I sort of get a sense that we don't see much of the personal life of a judge. We see a judge in the courtroom, mm. in the robes, um, issuing rulings or in her chambers, but we don't see them at home very much. And I thought that would be very interesting to sort of show that. Also, we find out that they're very busy doing a lot of reading constantly. They are. It's it's really hard work. They're always reading. And, And the funny thing is the system is not computerized yet. It's all basically done by paper. 
paper is submitted. It's a really backward system. In Judgment, the latest book by Joe Fender, you always come up with creative villains, <laughs> villains who are the old pluck from the headlines quote here, but yeah. several villainous groups, some more than others, and you don't have to give anything away, but is yeah. it fun these days with the, the Russian oligarchs popping up and all the oh other possibilities? They make the best bad guys, actually. <laughs> they do. They really do. The Russian oligarchs are, you know, the thing that intrigues me most of all about these Russian oligarchs, and sure enough, there is one in the book, as it turns out, but uh, is that it's unclear whether they're working for the Russian government, for Putin, or for themselves, because you don't get to be a billionaire in Russia without being pals mm. with Putin. Mm-hmm. And he basically made a deal. I actually, some part of the research I did for my book, I talked to a guy named Bill Browder, who's a an international investor who got in a lot of trouble with the Russians. And uh, he basically told me that that these these oligarchs are dependent. They they are, they are not independently wealthy. They are dependently wealthy. They really depend on the benevolence of Putin. So they have to be good to. Putin publicly. They cannot plot against him. So they can't get involved with politics. They can't criticize Putin. Uh, And if they stay out of Russian politics, they're able to operate independently around the world. But Putin uses some of these people as fronts Mm. to sort of do his, to do what the the Russian government wants to get done. So I was kind of interested in the fact is, are these people private citizens or are they working for the Russian state? Oh, it's very intriguing. And sometimes you hear about an assassination and an odd death on the streets of London. Yep. <laughs> and oftentimes it's at the tip of an umbrella, some poison that Putin sent, a little special present. Obviously, there's a lot of suspense and threat of violence and violence itself in the book, because that's what an, an action thriller is all about. And when you bring in the Russians, it, it adds a whole element there. There's also a great character, and there are a lot of composite fun characters, but Duncan, yeah your private eye, if you will, your aid to the judge. And I imagine there are guys like that who uh, who very much exist. We you wouldn't mean, write about so, them otherwise. So he's Hearst the private eye that, that, that she eventually hires? I think that one, right? Uh, yes, that's the one, right. Right, exactly. Yeah, Hearst was a character I really loved writing. In fact, he grew more complex the more he appeared in the book. I really became intrigued by him. He's sort of a cynical... Um, sour, miserable-seeming guy in a lot of ways, but he's really loyal and he's really helpful to Juliana. But so eventually she sort of finds out what's going on, what happened with this guy. And it makes him kind of, to me, an intriguing character. And I sort of, in some ways, well, I won't say anything, but he would have been a great character to have in other books. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I, I misspoke. <laughs> I mentioned Duncan. That's uh, yeah, another. Duncan's the husband. That's exactly. the husband, right. And right. I was thinking about so many couples I know where the wife is in the spotlight, whether it be show business or the law, and the husband is more laid back. Uh, and yep. and you don't see that in novels as much as you do in real life, but it was nice no, to see that. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? That's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, no, I wanted to sort of show a kind of a show how her husband was more laid back than she was and perhaps less ambitious than she is. I mean, she she really was aiming to be on the Supreme Court. Well, exactly. And what's so interesting about your stuff 
Joe, is in the midst of trying to save her own life and uncover this worldwide conspiracy, she has to deal with her teenage son and his issues at school. Yep. <laughs> That's right, exactly. And she's thinking, yeah, I got to basically save this family. And now I'm dealing with a kid who's doing drugs at school, right? I don't want to have to do this. Another issue that yeah. is raised, each book has, has its own set of issues, is the Me Too movement and the sexual yeah. harassment issue. That's the case that comes before the judge that's very critical, and it has to do with you know extorting her and so forth. What was the impetus for that? Was there any particular case you had in mind when you wrote about that? There were a couple cases in Silicon Valley. Um, there was one where um, a private equity firm was sued by, by a woman for sexual mistreatment. I was thinking of... of the lawsuits against Uber, for example. Well, one yeah. of the things you see in these lawsuits is there really is this kind of this bro culture in Silicon Valley that you know women often find themselves uncomfortable and targeted sexually in this world of basically very nerdy coding people. Mm. And right. it can be an abusive situation, actually. And it and in the case, so so I sort of was intrigued by the by the what was going on with Uber. Yeah. And I created a fictional Uber. Yeah. And by the way, I it sounded pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Called Wheels. Right? Wheels, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. The ride share idea. I don't know the chairman of Uber specifically, but I what I've heard, he mirrors the CEO of Wheels to a certain yep. extent. <laughs> That's right. I think I've asked you this before, but in terms of titles, this one's called Judgment. I imagine there are many other books with that title because it's oh, such yeah. a popular work. And just remind people about copyright issues. When it comes to title, it's A-OK -okay to use the same title, right? Oh, that's right. I mean, I could, if I wanted to, I could call my next book The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yeah. Wanted to be evil. Yeah, Mr. Brown code, would not like that too much. No, he, Dan Brown would not like that, and I won't. But, yeah, you, you can't copyright that. And, and the fact is, there are titles that get used over and over again and some of but this one there have been other judgments you know but but not a, not as many as you'd think you obviously researched that ahead of time uh, probably yeah i mean I, I called this book i often i i have a name for the book whether it turns out to be the final title or not and this one was judgment from the beginning it mm -hmm. had to be and yeah there are other books with that title but i'm okay when you're writing these novels, one a year, you have to be up and ready to talk about the very latest in terms of social media, the, yep. the very latest in terms of language and trends and so forth. A, a font of information here told fictionally, but it's all got to work. It's got to make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. And in a sense, one of the things you're, I'm doing writing a book a year is I'm sort of capturing a moment in time, you know? I'm sort of, I sort of feel with, with judgment that I sort of captured a certain culture, partly a judicial culture, partly um, um, the sort of basic culture of, basic, of living in the suburbs, uh, in the Boston area, for right, example. Right. If I may add, your heroine, of course, yep. is a female, a very strong character, but also, uh, like the rest of us, a very fallible character. And right. is that any more challenging for the master of novels as you are? Is that a little more challenging for you? To write a character who is... Female. Female. Well, you know, my feeling is I have written murderers and I've written terrorists, so there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to write a female character. <laughs> I mean, well, the truth is, 
I have had several fe- female protagonists, but not that many. I tend to default mm. to male protagonists. Right. Uh, and I found it really interesting to write this one, the, a female character who is presiding over a kind of a Me Too type trial during the Me Too era and sort of the sexual discrimination she herself faces, some of which I got from talking to my, my female judges. And the female judges were forthcoming with information about what they do. It wasn't that closed society. They trusted you, I would imagine. I guess, yeah. I mean, they were they were pretty open. I was sort of made it clear that what I was doing was I was filling in the personal life of the judge. Uh, and... I wasn't, you know, I wasn't taking cues for the conspiracy part of the story from their lives or their work or anything like that. Well, it works on a lot of levels. It's a very exciting, fun thing to do to read a Joe Fender novel. And and we've read so many and had you on various venues that I've been involved with for years. And it's great to have you on the podcast. So you can count on me getting in touch with you in about a year for the next one. Yep. Fantastic. <laughs> and it's joefinder, F-I-N-D-E-R.com. Is that still right, the site? Or josephfinder.com. Or josephfinder.com. Excellent. Yep. Sir, as always, you knocked it out of the park, and it happens to be near Fenway Park. It's uh, <laughs> a novel called Judgment, based in Boston, Joseph Finder, international bestseller. Thanks again, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jordan. Great talking with you. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good. <laughs>